Does managing your emotions feel like a full-time job? Today, we're going to talk about the difference between coping with emotional triggers and actually healing them. So you're no longer held hostage by your own emotional reactivity. By the end of this special two-part episode, you are going to have a very specific, easy to implement in real life, in real time tool known as therapeutic mindfulness that will allow you to transmute the energy of resistance and resentment and all of the other negative emotions that are keeping you stuck. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach, helping high-achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to invite you to a free brain training on mindful drinking that I am doing this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you are drinking 10 or more drinks per week and have already tried at least once to reset your tolerance by taking a break, and now you secretly assume you're going to have to quit completely because evidently you can't stop once you start, maybe the problem isn't that you really love to drink. Maybe you just have forgotten how to be alone with yourself. Living in survival mode has conditioned you to focus all your energy and attention onto external problems. And you've gotten into the habit of using alcohol to relieve your stress, and you've lost that sense of connection with yourself. Which means this isn't about the alcohol. And I've helped hundreds of professional women reprogram their subconscious minds so they can live intuitively and with intention. And I can tell you that the only thing stopping you from drinking like a normal person is bad information. It's completely possible for you to walk into a social event and see people instead of a bar line and to say no to your favorite cocktail because you have an early morning without feeling like a two-year-old who can't have a sucker before bed. It's possible for you to enjoy drinking without feeling like you have to count or pace yourself or worry about losing control. Pause this episode and get in the show notes and register for my free brain training on mindful drinking. Again, it's this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I will lay out the roadmap the timeline, and the tools that you need to stop overthinking alcohol so you can focus on what really matters to you. I do send out replays if you can't attend live, so register either way, but I highly recommend that you clear your calendar. This training is a game changer. And honestly, this episode also is a game changer. Today, my guest is Ruth Fearnow. She's a trauma therapist certified in EMDR. She's also a speaker, and she has recently authored a book on a process that she has developed that she is terming therapeutic mindfulness, which is a five-step technique that allows you to quickly release suppressed emotions and neutralize negative energy. 
You know, I have always been under the impression that certain people just have certain triggers. What pisses somebody off is kind of part of their personality, right? But we also know that you can get over stuff if you really want to. And the dilemma we all face is realizing that we have to choose between holding on to things that have upset us in the past and choosing our own peace of mind. But even when you set the intention to let something go, you still have to cope when something triggers that old reaction. And that's because there is a difference between your creative conscious mind and the subconscious programs that are running in the background. You may indeed be ready and willing to let go of whatever story it is that's bothering you, but the emotions that are attached to that story are coming from deeply held beliefs, likely formed in childhood, that you're not even aware of. So let's say you set an intention to no longer have road rage. Like, you know, you're tired of driving in your car, like you're late for pole day at the Indy 500, and you are ready to actively let that go. And so you're working on it, and you're consciously slowing yourself down and letting people in and being okay when people pass you and not tailgating. But managing your behavior doesn't undo the emotional energetic attachment to the belief that you're late or somebody's trying to screw you or life is one big rat race and you're never going to get ahead. And even if you're able to break the habit of reacting in anger when you're driving your car, those emotions can still be triggered in other contexts. It's like a bad game of whack-a-mole. And the more time that you have to spend managing your own emotions, the less time you have to experience peace and to focus on your goals and to move forward and create new habits and experiences that bring you joy. The difference between coping with your feelings and actually healing emotional triggers is understanding that 95% of your thoughts are habitual. I taught yoga for over 20 years and did multiple, you know, 200 hour programs. And we did a lot of study of the breath. And breathing is said to be the one bridge between conscious and unconsciousness. It is the one activity that we can manage in our body. We can take control of it, but also we don't have to think about it if we don't want to. So we can use our breath to manually override a stress response and trigger a parasympathetic nervous system response. So we can breathe ourselves back into a state of calm. But first of all, that's a coping skill, not a healing skill. And second of all, there's one other process that bridges the consciousness and the unconsciousness that we are never taught to look at or given the tools to know how to manage. And that, my friends, is thinking. Thinking is a subconscious behavior. And the problem is most of us are not aware that all the words and thoughts going through our heads is exactly the same shit that went through our minds yesterday. And our emotional triggers are buried in these thought loops. And the biggest mistake we make is to think that what we think is how we think and what we feel is just how we feel. And to not understand that we fully have the power to choose what we think and feel. But changing our minds can't happen when we are in a stress response. A stress response, by definition, 
has activated your subconscious survival mode. And so the only way to rewire that stress response so that it stops happening is to allow yourself to not only feel the feeling, but to resolve and redirect the energy. Most of us think feeling our feelings is wallowing in the story and believing the thoughts in our mind. And that's where we get stuck. And also why we develop all these coping skills to distract ourselves or suppress the emotions because we think they're telling us the truth. But emotions are not the bearers of bad news, my friends. Emotions are an invitation to explore the subconscious beliefs that are triggering this reaction, triggering you into survival mode so that you can consciously choose to let go of that old thinking pattern and to replace it with one that serves you. I'll tell you what, realizing that the only thing that you are actually afraid of is your own emotions is a game changer. And one of the favorite parts of my job is these podcast interviews where I get to talk with and actually get coached by truly remarkable professionals. So I thank you for listening to this podcast and I please ask that you continue and to share it because I am experiencing profound transformations from having these conversations. Since my conversation with Ruth, which you're about to listen to, I've been using therapeutic mindfulness to deal with some really big issues in my life. And I'm amazed and grateful and excited by how much progress I have made in my own healing. So in part one of this episode, we start with a conversation about why meditation and positive thinking and just blowing positive affirmations into the world doesn't actually work and the reason why it hasn't changed your life. It's not that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work until you have done this work to resolve the negative energy with your emotions. And Ruth is going to walk us step-by-step through this process of therapeutic mindfulness so that by the time you're done with part two, you will have the tools to quickly neutralize anxiety, resentment, anger, whatever, at the energetic level without having to go see your therapist and figure out why the hell you're upset. And she's going to talk to us about how it's possible to use your brain to heal your mind instead of letting your brain drive you crazy. It's very similar to how we use the breath to override a stress response. Well, you can also use your mind to override a stress response, and more importantly, to heal it so it stops happening. So let's dive into the episode. Ruth, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today and for joining me. And I am shocked that we just did our introductions and found out we live in the same town where nobody else, that never happens with me on podcast interviews. Nobody ever is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. So it's amazing to to know you are sitting five miles away from me right now. And it's so good to have you on the show. And I'm honored that you're here to share more about trauma and mindfulness and healing and growth. And I know my listeners are going to love it. So could you just introduce who you are and what you do? Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is so funny because when we had that conversation, I'm like, I could have just drove down the street. We could have shared a mic. Would have been great. So I am a local trauma therapist in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I am uh, EMDR certified. And it's interesting because 
before ever becoming a therapist, I had been doing, you know, learning about meditation and doing all that stuff for over a decade. And so that's blended in with my therapy as it does for a lot of therapists. Now they've just, there's just so much science behind it and knowing how it calms the brain and that's become a part of it. What's happened recently is that I've learned that when people first try, say if they don't have a lot of emotional regulation and they first try like a guided visualization, which is one mindfulness type exercise. You may have heard of this on YouTube. If you've ever looked for a guided meditation, first thing they do is they want to take you to the beach, you know, and you can hear the waves and feel the sun and all that good stuff. So when people do this, they may feel more peaceful than they have felt in months or years. And they're amazed. And then sometimes if they're super avoidant of feeling bad, the next time they feel bad, they're like, oh my God, okay, I'm at the beach. I'm at the beach. I feel the sun. I hear the waves. I see the dolphins. And it, it can be used as a new way to suppress your emotions and avoid feeling them. Oh. And the irony is that mindfulness can be used to heal the feelings. So, uh, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm here in Fort Wayne. And as I see this stuff playing out, I ended up developing a process step-by-step step of how to use mindfulness to heal feelings as they come up in the present. So what I just heard That's you say is that sometimes meditation, as we think of it in terms of taking yourself on a mental vacation, is actually a parachute out of the feelings that you need to feel and that you need to process. And that while it can be helpful to regulate your nervous system, if you don't circle back to whatever triggered the emotions and then process those emotions, that you're going to have to be using that parachute a lot and it's not actually going to heal those emotions. Yes, it won't heal. And worse, they will build up. They will gather, they will accumulate, and they will break through at inconvenient ways and bad times and they can damage things. You picked up on it right away, Colleen, when you realized it is okay to take the mental vacation. There's a ton of science behind all the mindfulness tools, a ton. It's useful. It's good. But if that's the only thing you do and you never face the hard stuff, then yeah, it, you have to circle back around. You have to work on the hard stuff. We have to face it. And if not, when things build up and build up, they come out in ways, if you really can't look at them, if you super hardcore suppress your stuff, I like to say it blows out sideways. It can't come up. So explode sideways. And that is panic attacks, nightmares, rage attacks, completely illogical reactions to things that are out of proportion. And we don't know why these things happen is because there's stuff buried there. So yes, we need to circle back right on. So when, if for my listeners benefit, how would you know if your meditation practice is backfiring, is not moving you forward, but perhaps circumventing the real problem that's causing you to continue to come back to and experience the same thing? So the, the struggle becomes chronic. Can you help? Because I think that we think, because we've been told that, well, if you just meditate or if, you know, do these practices that regulate your nervous system, that's the way through. And then I work with women all the time who have been struggling for years and continue to loop around in these chronic ways of suffering. 
and they think they're doing everything right. And on the surface, on paper, everything looks right. And yet they are mystified as to why they are still dealing with deep-seated pain and, like you said, panic attacks. I can give you one easy one. Is it getting worse? If I meditate every day and it comes back with something that bugs me, comes back every night and over time it's getting worse, it's not healing. It's building up. Okay. So then if somebody identifies as, okay, you know, the meditation isn't serving the ultimate through plan to heal, what's the next steps? What do you do? How do you solve this problem? You know, it's something about the way you were the question I really like because it acknowledges that the through plan was to heal. And I don't know if everyone thinks of it that way, but we're told meditation has good stuff that's going on. It's supposed to be really good for us. And I do agree with that. And then you talk about it calming the nervous system. So that is a first step. It's a wonderful first step. I think the main thing is if you're only doing the positive stuff, I am very pro meditation, positive psychology, all the things, affirmation. I'm very pro that. So long as that's not the only thing you do. So there has to be a way to go into the negative stuff. And that can be with your therapist doing EMDR. There's, you know, there's a few of the deeper therapies that are going to get there. What I've created is what I call therapeutic mindfulness. Mindfulness, I'll, I'll just start with that. Mindfulness has two components. So it is defined as non-judgmental focused attention. They have to be together. Sometimes, you know, somebody's really angry and I'm like, and someone says, be mindful of your anger. Of course I know I'm angry. I know what's going on. It's not mindful because there's judgment. They're not detached. They're not observing. Focus attention, hyper focuses on one thing. And then you have to have that non-judgmental piece. That's mindfulness. If you think about some of the practices we've learned that are calming for the nervous system, I'm going to breathe and get hyper-focused on my breath, feel it go in, feel it go out, feel my chest rising, feel my breath on, on my upper lip, feel the temperature in the room, feel, you know, the tightness in my chest. We get hyper-focused on that breathing and then there's no good or bad way to breathe. We're not mad at ourselves for breathing too fast, right? We're just noticing. There's no judgment. Now we're mindful. And we can do the same thing with the visualizations. We can do the same thing on those exercises. If you've taken a mindful class, they might've had you sip a cup of tea mindfully. So you can do this on things that are, that are calming, relaxing, or that are neutral. You can wash dishes mindfully. If you have all your attention without any judgment, you can be completely in the moment. That component, we can use that, but go into negative feelings. So maybe if it's okay, I'll go into, I'll kind of, yeah, backpedal a little bit into how your mind deals with emotions by default, because it does have some strategies. So if something happens, that's really emotional for me and my mind needs to deal with it somehow, it's got some strategies. Strategy number one is you can swallow it. I've already talked about this being an issue if it's done too much, but there is a place for swallowing. Okay, so something's uncomfortable. I'm going to stuff it down. If I'm in public and I want to cry, I'm probably going to shove it down until I get home. That's okay. Coping skills, even swallowing and shoving stuff down is okay short term. And sometimes it's really important. If I see something very frightening and I have my child with me, 
I need to swallow my stuff so I can show her that there is stability, that she has someone to hold on to. And then later when she is soothed, she's in bed. I think things are okay. I can go be by myself and say, okay, let me go be with the feelings that came up and I can let them out. So short term, it's fine. Long term, as I said before, it builds up until it's suffocating us and it destroys our quality of life and our relationships if we're, you know, busting out in a rage or terrified all the time. So swallowing fine short term, not good long term. So that's strategy number one. Strategy number two, take the S off of swallow. We can wallow. We can let the story run. And a lot of people will purposefully do this. I'm going to face my emotions. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to figure out what's wrong, figure out why I feel this way. And if I figure out why I can fix it and I don't have to feel bad. Sadly, that doesn't work because if it's a really deep emotional thing that's coming up, you cannot solve an emotional problem with a logical solution. Hmm. It doesn't work different levels of the mind. And that's where we get into a lot of our self-loathing. You're so stupid. Why can't you handle this? What's wrong with you? You know better. This isn't logical. What are you doing? It's not logical. It's emotional. We need to deal with it at that level. So when we're wallowing and we're in our story and we're analyzing and this narrative's happening, what tends to happen is you feel worse and worse. And I can tell you when you feel worse that if you go back and look at the story that your mind's playing, every thought in that story has one purpose only. And that is to tell you why you should be upset. In fact, not only should you be upset, you should be more upset. And let me tell you why. So wallowing doesn't work. And I hope you're not too frustrated because right now you're like, okay, I can't shove them down. I can't face it. What's left? take off the W you can allow. Now allowing is not something we do on the logical level because that story, the story is not where it needs to be. We need to be with the emotions. So we have to get out of the story. This is key. We have to get out of the story and where the emotions are. Now, let me ask you, Colleen, if you feel anxiety, where does that show up? A band across my chest. It's right Yeah. So across my chest. So I didn't even prompt you and you got it already. It's in our body. Mm -hmm. And most of us understand on some level that we feel it in our body. We even have colloquialisms. We have these idioms. Oh, it feels like I got punched in the gut. You know, oh, it took my breath away. I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. We feel it physically in our body. And so that's where the emotions are. And that's where we need to go when we're trying to heal. So with therapeutic mindfulness, I have a process to help you get out of the story into your body with a hyper focus. And once you have that focused attention on where the feeling, that band across your chest that feels so tight and your breathing is tight and it's squeezing or heavy, then we go to it with non-judgment and we allow it to be there. And when you sit with that feeling and stay with it and allow it to feel everything, it starts to change and shift and then it starts to heal. So is this a dual approach? So one of the things I kind of believe is that, and by, I don't mean I kind of believe it. I believe it, but what I guess I don't know is if it's an incomplete belief. And that is that 
shifting your attention first to the energy and the sensation in your body is part of it. But then I also believe that there is a logical component that the emotion also has to make sense. There has to be some understanding of why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And then once you get that, oh, I learned this as a child, or oh, this happened to me at a certain time, then when there's a logical sense-making part of it, then when that emotion comes up, you can just deal with the energy. But if you don't understand why it's coming up, then you can't really correct for how that emotion is impacting your choices and your beliefs and all of that. Tell me where I'm wrong or tell me what else there is. I think I'll go with a what else there is option. (laughs) I don't believe it's true that has to happen. It's been really an interesting thing watching this therapeutic mindfulness take place because there I've seen a lot of people not have all the logical connections and certainly not a why. And I've seen things heal through. And one of the questions I like to ask is if you knew why would you feel better? And the answer is no, because you said, even then you have to deal with the energy. And here's another, here's a corollary to that. If you didn't have the emotion, would you need to feel figure out why? No, because the emotions healed. So I have seen times when someone can go into their body and subconsciously their mind knows what to do and how to heal. And then the need to make the connections is not necessary. It goes away. There's no need for that. Now, I want to put in the caveat that what you said, I don't think that's wrong. So I'm adding an extra layer to that because this is something you can do with a lot of stuff on your own. Interestingly, I have had uh, myself and other people while doing this process have spontaneous insights. So I was doing therapeutic mindfulness on myself one time and I got, this is unusual for me. Normally I'm a, you know, cloudy, heavy chest kind of a person, right? But this time, for whatever reason, I had a saw blade in my skull. It's very vivid, doesn't make any logical sense. So clearly my subconscious mind is involved. So I have a saw blade in my skull and the feeling is moving forward and forward to my forehead and it culminates in my left eye. And there's a stabbing sensation that's the focus of the pain and I can feel some pain. And so I'm like, okay, we'll let that pain be there. When it got to my eye, I had a flash of a memory where a kid threatened to stab me in the eye with a pencil. And I didn't recognize that threat, you know, that threat of damage was and violence was with me. So I got that insight and it, it just came up. When you said the saw blade was that a vision you had or were you describing the pain? Like I get different types of headaches and sometimes I'll say it feels, it's the one where there's a dowel rod going through my eye. I don't actually (laughs) see that. It's just, that's how I'm describing it to the, using language to describe where the pain is and how it feels. So do you mean that in your analogy or in your story that you actually had a vision of a saw or was this like a headache that was moving in a way that a saw might, if you had that happen to you. It sounds like in your description of yours that you had an image that it feels like this, but it's not necessarily how vivid and not vivid it is depends on the person. Some people I have are extremely visual. It's more like an impression and it didn't feel like a headache at all. 
It was, I could feel the pain point. I could feel the movement. And that's very common with this process, you know? So I, I don't know if that helps, but well, like, I just wanted it, it's more of an impression. I fully understand what you're describing. So you said you were doing the therapeutic mindfulness. So putting me in the scene to, to observe this, you are perhaps like almost meditating or did something trigger it and you had this pain and then you were looking at the pain or did the mindfulness session mm -hmm. actually precipitate the pain? A bit of both, but I think more of the latter. Okay. Let me describe the, how we get into the body. So let's say you talk about a band around your chest. For me to focus, it gets you out of the story that runs in your mind and into your, the emotion in your body. I will ask you if that feeling was its own thing, if it had a size, how big would it be? First, where is it? It's in the chest. It's across my chest. Okay. If it had a shape, what would it be like? That's a band across my chest. If it had a color, what would that be? People come up with a color. Let's say it's dark gray. If it had a temperature, what would that feel like? It's hot. Okay. If it had a, if it had a texture, what would it be like to touch? It's bumpy. It's rough, you know? And then I, so that once I'm done with th those questions, people are out of their narrative and they have, they develop a very vivid sense of what they're feeling in their body. Now I have, again, an impression of it. I'm not extremely visual, so it's not like a, a very specific picture, but it's just an impression. And that's how I describe it. That's what it feels like just as you described a band in your chest. So those are the questions I ask and people are really surprised even the very first time. And they could be people that have never meditated, never done any mindfulness. And they're very surprised at how vivid and, and not everyone. Some people is, it's just, it's always heaviness in the chest and it's cloudy and it's dark. And other people is this super vivid experience that happens that goes all over the place and it moves and it morphs and, one woman had a ginger root in her chest that popped open a purple flower. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. I've never had saw blades. Mine are usually not that vivid and intense or unique, but this session, this time I was doing, I was feeling something and I went into my body usually starts in my chest. So I would imagine it probably was there, but as I followed it, it changed and it became the saw blade and that became the stabbing in the eye. And then I had the memory pop up. I acknowledged it and I stayed with the stabbing in the eye until it resolved. What conjured the feeling though? That's where I'm a little bit unclear. Did you, and with the clients that you are speaking of, do they come into session to work on something specific and then together you conjure the image and the memory and you move into that? Or is this something that people are doing in real time and telling you about later, like the ginger root with the purple flower. Is that something you and she together created for therapeutic reasons? Or was, is this a story of that she experienced a feeling that felt like a ginger root? I've got both of those that happen all the time. The ginger root happened to be in my office. I've done some of these in front of groups of people at workshops so what I tell people, they can do it in real time. I honestly forget what it was I began on. I just noticed I had a feeling, probably chest, because that's usually where mine start. So I don't remember specifically, although I can give you a case study of someone I did at a workshop. But I can, what I can tell you is if you just have the feeling in real time 
and you have happen to have the time to do it, you can sit down, focus in on your body, close your eyes, and you can do the process. And a lot of people can resolve it. I can also use this process to bring up, I can bring up emotions for people and solve them in session. So for example, if a person is telling me, um, the last Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming up. So last Thanksgiving was terrible. And I'm really freaked out that my mom's going to do X, Y, Z. And just the thought of this happening just brings up so much anxiety. And it, once they are feeling an actual emotion, I can always stop them and say, okay, where do you feel it in your body? And I can start the process. Okay. So anytime they have emotion, or if we're working through an issue, we just bring up the emotion and then we do the process. Okay. So maybe we could do a role play or something of what that would look like. And I would love to have you walk me through that because what I'm hearing you say is that there is a way to not swallow, not wallow, but to allow the feeling, go into the feeling, and that this process you're speaking of would allow you to resolve the feeling so that it does not continue to come back. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's it for part one. And I encourage you to take some time to not just quickly consume this episode, part two of this episode, but take time and integrate part one, write in your journal, take five minutes and just breathe, be inside your body and let this information digest. Part two begins with about 10 to 12 minutes where Ruth takes me through an actual therapeutic mindful session and she walks us through the five steps and then we'll give you very specific advice on where to start with this because for most of us it's this all overwhelming sense there's all the emotions at once right we can't even figure out where to start so she's going to explain what to do when you feel heavy and complicated and overwhelmed and give you very specific toehold where you just start in, in one specific place. And then she's going to share why this technique actually could eliminate your need to go see your therapist all the time. She says using this technique has allowed many of her clients to see her much less because they actually have a tool to break up the energy and identify the limiting belief and resolve it on their own. You know, my job as a coach, any job as a therapist is not to like see somebody every week. It's to have sustainable mental health. You know, wellness is not something that should require trips to the doctor all the time. And that's the problem with our healthcare system. Technically, it's not healthcare. It's sick care. It's a business model that keeps you coming back for more pills and procedures. You know, you have everything inside of you to be well. And learning how to be present with yourself instead of constantly searching for answers outside of you is the skill that will transform your life. And therapeutic mindfulness is a powerful tool. It's only one tool, but I know I've been using it and it really is powerful. And I am putting in the show notes a link to Ruth's free downloads. I looked at them and they're amazing. There's at least six or seven downloads that cover the process in depth, as well as scripts and things that you can 
try and use to make the process your own. So I highly recommend you check out her downloads. And I also put a link to her book on Amazon if you want to order that. So, okay, I will see you for part two in episode 91.